0: morning, everybody. Welcome to this Friday edition of Squatbox. China posting record-breaking growth in the first quarter as GDP soars 18.3% on the year, although that was short of analysts' expectations. The Dow rallying now above 34,000 for the first time on the back of strong earnings and as retail sales surge almost 10% with first-time jobless filings hitting a one-year low.
1: Daimler surprises with a preliminary earnings beat as the German luxury automaker unveils its next generation electric car, but the CEO tells CNBC the chip shortage is holding back sales.
2: That did affect us in quarter one and it will continue to affect us in quarter two. Literally, we could sell more than we can produce uh, at this moment. Uh, We're working with our suppliers to sort that out uh, and we think it will improve as the year progresses. French
1: cosmetic giant L'Oreal sees strong demand in China supporting sales as online shopping across Western Europe helps offset the impact of lockdown closures. We're going to be hearing from the CEO on street signs today. And U.S. President Joe Biden slaps sanctions on Russia and expels 10 diplomats over allegations of hacking and election interference.
0: When Russia seeks to violate the interests of the
2: United States, we will respond. We will always stand in defense of our country, our institutions, our people, and our allies.
0: It would be churlish of me to stand up here and make a big point about how 18.3% didn't quite hit hit the market expectations. But of course, this is a game of expectations. And the analysts had penciled in something in excess of 19%. So 18.3% is terrific it didn't quite make the, make the expectations, though, which perhaps explains why we had relatively muted equity trade off the back of these numbers. What it does show, though, China continues to rebound sharply. Over the first quarter, this 18.3% jump in GDP compares to the year before, of course, when we had the reports of COVID and the onset of the pandemic. And uh, ultimately, domestic demand collapsed at that point. Strong retail sales were the main driver of this pickup in activity. Industrial output also recovering here, as you can see, up 14.1%. But as I say, that headline GDP figure missed expectations, and the quarter-on-quarter number actually slowed to just 0.6%. Well, early on, the markets were a little unimpressed, I'll be honest with you. And um, ultimately, as the morning has gone on and we've come into the afternoon session, we have seen an improvement in how the Shanghai Composite has traded, but we're only up. A little over four tenths of one percent here, as you can see. Hong Kong is kind of grappling to get some momentum, only up zero. And it's a similar story with the Nikkei 225 here. So what's the issue? Why why do we need to be so picky about this, uh, this Chinese data point? Because it does come on the back of a slew of data which has shown a strong pickup in industrial profits and manufacturing activity. And Sam, one of the interesting aspects to I think this number is just the spectacular shape of those retail sales figures up 34.2%. But it doesn't seem to be really exciting investors as much as you might have expected. Why not?
3: Good morning to you, Jeff. Well, I think investors are clearly continuing to digest this raft of economic data that we've got out today, a lot of numbers to uh, crunch throughout the morning. Uh, But certainly the muted response that we have seen, as you clearly pointed out, is fairly consistent with what we've seen in recent weeks. As much as we've got a lot of strong data out of the mainland, there have been these consistent worries about potential policy tightening, and that is probably what's fueling some of this investor sentiment today while we are seeing small gains. uh, They're not huge because investors have been worried about a potential move towards normalisation away from accommodation. But as you say, I mean, optically, that headline GDP reading was pretty solid but there are a few reasons why this was really juiced up. Uh, We do need to look under the hood, of course, because that double-digit growth came off a low base last year. That 6.8% contraction in Q1 last year when China China uh, was really at the height of the virus. This was a very harsh and unusual time for China. But the other thing to counter in, to factor in, uh, is, of course, the stay put factor throughout Q1. Of course, a lot of those migrant workers did not return home for the Lunar New Year holiday. And that meant that a lot of these businesses and factories uh, did stay open and were able to push these orders out. But also a lot of money uh, was spent at home. Now, as you rightly pointed out, uh, while this is a record Reading, uh, it really doesn't matter too much uh, in terms of the year on year number. Uh, the Q to Q number uh, is really the important one and does give us an indication of really where the Chinese economy uh, is at. That came in up 0.6% uh, from uh, the, the previous quarter. That was missing expectations of around 1.5%. And what that shows is a bit of a slowdown uh, in this economic activity from that 3.2%. And certainly uh, the uh, breakdown of that uh, March data that you were just uh, looking at before uh, does uh, paint a a clearer picture of that for us because we did see a mixed bag in terms of that data that industrial output up 14 percent missing expectations uh, even though those uh, migrant workers didn't head home but that was consistent uh, with those export numbers that we saw last month uh, missing expectations as well but as you pointed out, it's that consumption data that really was the big focus because that has largely lagged this economic recovery so far that uh, retail sales uh, coming in up 34 percent year on year in March, really a clear sign that consumer confidence uh, is coming back. And so what I think those two data points do suggest now in terms of the growth factor is that perhaps moving forward, we may be moving away from this manufacturing industrial led recovery that we've seen more towards a consumption-led one. Guys, back to you in London.
0: Sam, terrific. Thank you so much for unpacking that story for us. Well, Ding joins us, Managing Director and Chief Economist for China at Standard Chartered. Um, Nice to have you with us on the programme. Look, to what extent do we need to be moderately attentive to the fact that there could have been a lot of front-loading in terms of the manufacturing and retail pickup here in the first quarter of the year?
4: Yes, indeed. The headline year-on-year numbers are misleading uh, because of a low base of last year. So to remove the base effect, uh, one way is to look at the Q-on-Q GDP growth. Another way is to compare the current numbers with the early 2019, before the coronavirus, by looking at the two-year average. If we look at that number, GDP growth uh, in the first quarter, two-year average, 5.0%. Uh, so that is slightly lower than the pre-COVID level of uh, close to 6%. But uh, if we look at the momentum, uh, the momentum is uh, on track to reach the pre-COVID level of growth. Uh, if we look at the PMI in March, both the manufacturing and in particular, the service uh, PMI improved a lot. Uh, I think the policy makers will also look at the drivers of the growth. Uh, the industrial production very strong. Uh, it already recovered to the pre-COVID level. Uh, you mentioned some front-loading, uh, but if we look at the first quarter as a whole, uh, it increase, uh, it grew by six to seven percent. So that's exactly the level before the coronavirus. But uh, uh, this is mainly driven by external demand. Domestic demand still subpar. If we look at the retail sales two-year average the fixed asset investment two-year average still below uh, the pre-COVID level. Uh, The retail sales only two to three percent, and also the fixed asset investment also, I think, uh, relatively low. So the government, uh, I think, would uh, uh, increasingly focus on the the structure, uh, the composition of the growth going forward. But at the end of the day, the policymakers care about employment. Uh, the unemployment rate dropped to five point three percent, but they also see some uh, problem with uh, the young people, uh, I think just to enter the job market. Uh, so if, if we look at the whole package, I would still say this is a still quite positive set of number. It is still below the level of uh, of the uh, uh, below the level of the coronavirus, uh, but is getting uh, to that direction. Uh, and if the momentum can be kept, uh, the uh China's growth is on track to beat the government uh target of six percent for this Wang year. Deng? Most likely the growth will reach a
0: the frustrating thing for our audience of course is as they look at some of these stronger data points coming in they're looking at their shanghai composite etf year-to-date performance and they're scratching their head because in reality you've lost money this year if you bought uh, the shanghai composite on the first of january Uh, why isn't the stock market responding better to the economic data, why invest? Why are investors losing confidence in the government's ability to continue juicing this economy?
4: Uh, I would say the investors are worried about the policy direction. Uh, I think the rest of the world, even as the growth momentum improved, the central bank made it clear that they will keep uh, the accommodative monetary policy for longer. Uh, I think they do not expect, for example, the Federal Reserve do not expect any interest rate hike uh, before 2024. Uh, But in China, I think think, uh, with the growth already uh, on track uh, and uh, for industrial production already uh, back to the pre-COVID level, uh, the government uh, has already started to consider uh, other priorities to stabilize the leverage ratio, for example, to address the financial risks uh, as a result of... uh, uh, rapid expansion of credit of last year uh, so those are uh i think uh i think hang over i think and uh, uh the investors are worried that there will be a, a significant tightening of the policies right. which uh, we we think yes right. I, I think uh, the policies is likely to uh, turn tighter uh but uh, i think the uh, government still want to consolidate the foundation of the recovery first
1: Investors are also concerned about the recovery phase that China was out in front in terms of its rebuilding. And what you've seen now is the rest of the world plays catch up, whether other countries could also seize back contracts and business from China at this point. When you look at the unemployment rate, uh, we've got a level of roughly 5.3 percent in March. That does not include migrant workers, though. What is the challenge for China here in the recovery phase still as it tries to bring back more jobs but could potentially face more competition from other countries around the world?
4: Uh, For one thing, the policies still need to be supportive, even though I think it could be less supportive compared with last year. But another, I I think, important thing is uh, uh, for the the U.S. and uh, Europe, they are making big progress in terms of vaccination. And in China, uh, they will have to, uh, I think, catch up. Uh, Up to now, I think uh, only less than 10% of the population got uh, the, uh, the, uh, the vaccination, the inoculation. Uh, and they will have to catch up. And on the other hand, uh, I think uh, the, the problem is more structural in China. Uh, on the one hand, we see, I think, uh, the migrant workers tend to stay at their hometown instead of going to the city. On the other hand, uh, we see, especially in coastal cities, uh, And we t- if, when we talk to our corporate client, uh, we actually find a shortage of labor in some areas. So... Uh, the employment is uh, more a structural issue and the government will have to take more targeted measures uh, to address the problem.
0: Shuang Ding, nice to see you. Thanks for taking the time for us. Shuang Ding, Managing Director and Chief Economist at China. Uh, for China at Standard Chartered Bank. Um, In terms of the US data, well, the retail sales number surged almost 10% in March. That beat expectations. Consumers went out and spent their government stimulus checks. Sporting goods, clothing, food and drink were most in demand as states eased restrictions amid the vaccine rollout. Meanwhile, US weekly jobless claims fell to their lowest level since the early days of the pandemic back in March 2020, with 576,000 Americans filing for unemployment. That was significantly lower than the 710,000 that had been expected and has left the analysts scratching their head as to why all these indicators perhaps of improving economic activity didn't persuade bond market yields higher, Carried Quite the reverse.
1: Yeah, a little bit of Japanese buying, perhaps, uh, to start out the new financial year. That was perhaps one interpretation. But investors, I think, looking at the data, uh, took the message that we've got this recovery very much on course in the United States and that was a welcome you could see major markets bouncing to fresh met records the Dow the S&P eking out further peak territory intraday all-time highs and fresh peaks at the finish too for both of those major indices the Nasdaq still just slightly off it's record level, uh, less than 1%, but within touching distance. In terms of the sectors, a very strong right across the board. You did see some leadership from the real estate sector. That was a strong rally up close to 2%. Uh, energy, one of the, the areas that was lagging behind. We have witnessed the demand story around energy at the early part of this week. So just a bit of fatigue in that oil story at the end of the week. What we're seeing on uh, the U.S. markets over the course of the trading week so far with uh, those strong gains you saw yesterday it's been a decent week uh firmer across the borders we uh, bump up against these uh fresh levels seven tenths on the dow very similar range for the s p and for the nasdaq it was worth noting early in the week there has been some demand for those big technology names and speaking of which let's just take a look at the sectors that were at a record level yesterday a record close on industrials, materials, technology, consumer care, uh, healthcare, and consumer staples. And you can see uh, the extent of the gains much stronger in some areas, technology in particular, about 1.8% in the green, and also healthcare, very strong trade there. The Treasury market, here's how it looked, uh, Jeff, Jeffrey just pondering this level, the 1.58% level. We, we peeled back from the 1.6 plus percent uh, mark we were trading around. But uh, perhaps it's just an anomaly about uh, repositioning of fund flows from places like Japan at this st- stage. Maybe it's not symbolic of the broader directional markets, but uh, certainly backing away from that 1.77% that we saw at the end of March. Now just a pointer, don't miss Steve Leesman's exclusive discussion with the Federal Reserve's newest member, Christopher Waller. You can see what will be his first televised interview since joining. That'll be crossing at 16.10 CET. For more on China's sharp economic growth rebound and what it means for the rest of the world, you can check out the Squawk Box podcast.
0: Uh, coming up on the show, Daimler marks the unveiling of its new all-electric sedan with a first quarter earnings beat. We will take a look at the numbers. Annette has
2: also interviewed the CEO, Ola Kalinas. We'll hear from him in a moment. When an industry goes through transformation, I think it's natural that maybe new players look at that industry. Can I take part? So, yes, there will be uh, intense competition.
0: Heimler has posted an adjusted quarterly EBIT of 5 billion euros. That was better than estimates. Uh, That was the preliminary first quarter number. The carmaker said it has seen strong momentum at the start of 2021, underpinned by higher pricing and strong demand from China. Well, the CEO, Ola Kalenius, uh, says better battery technology and more competition will ultimately drive EV production costs lower towards those of traditional ice-engined autos. Speaking to CNBC as part of our Engine of Europe coverage... Kalenius also warned he expects semiconductor shortages to continue into the second half of the year, but says the reopening of economies presents a significant growth opportunity. Annette caught up with the Daimler boss as the German carmaker unveiled its new all-electric EQS sedan range. She asked him when the company's new EVs will see the same margins as its traditional S-Class models.
2: We will make money with this car from the word go. Uh, that's very important for us when we launch a whole new platform. But uh, where we are today, for a vehicle with a large battery, the variable costs are higher than what we have been used to on combustion-based vehicles. So our task during this decade of transformation is on the one hand, drive the variable cost down, uh, and uh, during the decade restore in all our segments uh, a margin parity, which is our goal.
6: But after that decade, you are saying that the variable costs will um, yeah, be equal those of the combustion engine?
2: I very strongly believe that mobility, and especially luxury mobility, is a growth business. Uh, and we are a path where we have a lot of work still to do, uh, where this technology is now still it's in, in its infancy and will be scaled and we will have uh, technological uh, development. So I'm optimistic that we will be able to restore the margins that we have been used to. And at the same time, mobility is growth. And that's why there's some, so much excitement about the auto industry and why maybe some other people are looking at the auto industry at the moment.
6: Um- I think it was the Frankfurter Allgemeine Zeitung who called you a Tesla hunter. So how is the chase going with Tesla in your view?
2: With regard to the EQS, when we kind of write up the spec book for a car like this, uh, the car that we are looking at is actually its sibling, the S-Class. So it needs to meet that standard, that Mercedes standard. It's very important for a company, and for a brand like ours, that you know who you are, what's your DNA, who are you trying to serve? How do you fulfill that brand promise? That's what we're focusing on, and I think the EQS delivers on that.
6: When it comes to the competitive, or the competition in that market segment, how do you feel about it? Do you think it's, it's stronger than in, in the combustion a- a- area, or is it the same, or is it less?
2: In this particular segment, really the upper end of luxury sedans, this vehicle is 5 meters 20 long, as, about as long as a long wheelbase S-Class. At the moment, there is no fully electric vehicle in that particular size segment that offers the space that this offers, you know, with a reclining back seat if you choose to sit in the back, and, and so on. So there we are. It's almost like we're opening up this chapter, uh, and then we will see what the uh, competitive intensity will look like.
6: Um, when it comes to the the likes of Google or um, also Apple or Alibaba, those are also said to they want to enter the car market. Are you concerned about more competition from uh, those digital companies?
2: When an industry goes through transformation, I think it's natural that maybe new players look at that industry. Can I take part? So, yes, there will be uh, intense competition. Uh, We will focus on what we do best, build the world's most desirable cars, look at what the brand stands for, take that into the next technological era. And if we do that well, uh, we will be able to build upon our very strong position today.
1: Elsewhere shares in GSK closed Thursday's session up 6% on reports and activist investor Elliott Management has built up a multi-billion pound stake in the British drug maker. Let's get out to Juliana for more. Juliana, there seems to be some griping about the leadership of Dame Emma Walmsley and in particular the stock price performance of GSK versus some of its peers, AstraZeneca and Pfizer. But if you, you know, look at those two names at the forefront of vaccine development, is that where it's gone wrong for GSK, the lack of success? around a COVID-19 vaccine.
5: Well, Karen, I think that is definitely something that's been notable over the last year. The fact that GSK teamed up with Sanofi to deliver a COVID 19 vaccine. And it has been one of the disappointments among the vaccine candidates. It's faced delays. They had to reformulate the vaccine, and we're still not due to get phase three data on that vaccine until later in the year. But that is a very minor part of the problem. Looking at the share price performance of GSK since a CEO, Dame Emma Walmsley, has come in in April 2017, exactly as you say. The company has underperformed its biggest UK rival, AstraZeneca, shares in GSK down about 14% since she came on board in April 2017, AstraZeneca in contrast up nearly 50% over that same time period. Now, in terms of what Elliott Management may want out of this company, it's unclear a little bit at this stage. The company is already on track for some pretty big strategic changes. Uh, the CEO has already planned for a spin out of its consumer health business for uh, from which would leave behind just its pharmaceutical and vaccines business. So there is already a lot of change in the pipeline. So what could Elliott want? Well, they may want a different type of, uh, of uh, breakup. Perhaps they are looking for uh, an IPO of that business. They think that they could influence what happens to the consumer health business. They may want management change. At this point, uh, the CEO is planning to continue heading up the pharmaceutical vaccine part of the business. Perhaps they want her to take up the leadership at the consumer health part of the business. So it remains unclear what they want. What is clear is GSK has lagged AstraZeneca and some of its other pharma peers since she has taken the reins. And of course, GSK shares up 6% yesterday.
0: Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market moving news, you can head to cnbc.com.
1: Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cupmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show Weekdays on CNBC.